What's going on, Download fans? This is Alex Timms. Hope you guys had a great new year and holiday season. But here on the Dale Jr. Download, we are extremely excited for 2023. We have a lot of great guests lined up for this year, some new segment ideas, and a lot of other cool things I think you guys are going to really enjoy. And speaking of new things, a brand new episode of Next Level with Andrew Curland is out now. Andrew sat down with legendary broadcaster Ken Squire to discuss his Hall of Fame career and much more. Make sure you go over to the Next Level podcast and hit subscribe so you never miss another episode. But now, without further ado, here's the brand new episode of Andrew Curlin's Next Level Conversation with Ken Squire. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. An eight, nine automobiles smashing Jody Redley, crashing into the infield. Spinning, splashing their way Bobby down the road. And there's cars slithering and sliding down to turn number four. So slipping, sliding through cars. And it's shoot and scoot from here, David. Neil Bonnet, a stout and steady third out here. Put every ounce of effort they have into winning. No equivocation about it. This is worth doing. Common man doing uncommon deeds. They, they wouldn't be denied. They'd stick with it and fight with it as long as they had breath to breathe. We've got to own it at Incart Dam because this is going to change everything. We're talking about like an actual bear, right? Bear, a real bear. Yeah, soothing the bear. <laughs> It takes a special type of person to venture out and do things many others haven't done. For some, it's the thrill of risk that fuels their fire. For others, it simply just fits their personality. It's about proving you can do things that others can't. I mean, the extraordinary starts with ordinary people doing extraordinary things. This is where the likes of Cale Yarborough and Ken Squire fit into the story. Hello everybody, welcome back to the next installment of Next Level, where we dive into that famous quote, common man doing uncommon deeds. And honestly, this goes well beyond just the drivers on the track. It boils down to the very idea that broadcasting NASCAR was not a common thing at the time. The idea of mainstream broadcasting and mainstream racing just didn't exist. How did we get there? Well, it took someone with a big idea, someone who believed in it, and like we've covered in the first three episodes, that guy is Ken Squire. We'll talk about the first flag-to-flag broadcast, which was not the 1979 Daytona 500, and you'll find out very shortly what it was. Maybe you did your research when I teased it that last time around, but Ken was a pit reporter for that race, and we uh, actually in between... Recording, we showed him clips of him on pit road. If you want, it is available on YouTube. Go check it out. I'll share it at the end of the episode so I don't reveal any spoilers. Um, but we talk about, yeah, that first flag to flag race in car cameras. Many people don't know that Ken Squire was that guy instrumental in bringing in car cameras to NASCAR, putting a face that connected with that car. Because at the time when you were watching these races, all you saw was a race car. You didn't see the hero behind the wheel. And that is, that's what so much of Ken Squire was about, is trying to bring those personalities 
to life. And one of those personalities, and we're going to cover him a fair amount in this episode, this is actually how the common man doing uncommon deeds quote came about, is we were talking about Cale Yarborough and some of the things he did unbelievable stories. When I was listening back to this specific portion of the interview, I was getting giddy myself. I was hanging on. I, I It had been some time since I listened to our conversation and I didn't necessarily know where we were going. So I was hanging on as if I was listening to these stories for the first time. And I can't wait for you to hear what is in store. My opinion of all the episodes we put out, this one's the best one yet. Can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. Next level with Ken Squire. A lot of people think that the first flag to flag coverage of a NASCAR race was the 1979 Daytona 500, but that wasn't the case. It was the 1971 Greenville 200, and you were a pit reporter on that. Yeah. Do you remember that broadcast? Yeah, I sure do. <laughs> I had something that looked like a, a pack from World War One, <laughs> lugged around, and uh, and I had a great time. David Pearson and Bobby Isaac were the stars in that show. Imagine a guy who came out of that business of making underwear in North Carolina. <laughs> The star, right, with Bobby Isaac, who I just loved. He couldn't read too well, but he could understand as well as anybody I ever met in my life. I thought he was quite a guy. And that was good enough for him. And he thought he could do it better. And he kept proving it. And that race, uh, those two fought it out at the end. It was a runaway, I think. Didn't Bobby Isaac beat David Pearson by a I few laps? I think he did, uh, yeah. because one of them tuckered out, but, <laughs> <laughs> but the car tuckered out, yeah. not him. But those are the guys that, that really put solid roots in the ground for this sport and where it's going and what it's becoming and more power to them. I heard you describe the 71 flag-to-flag race in Greenville as quite the experiment. What what worked about it? What didn't work about it? And what did ABC think about about that race after it was all said and done? Yes, I guess I did work for ABC that day. I can't tell you that. I know that I walked out and thought that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it meant something to so many that had not been particularly represented, although baseball did. But as far as I was concerned. That didn't count. <laughs> I had to have something more, more corn on the cob. And it was a short track, it wasn't a long track. And they did the same thing they did everywhere they go and still do today. Put every ounce of effort they have into winning. No equivocation about it. This is worth doing. Not many people today can put up with that, but they do. And that's what racing was. And these kids today, most of whom I don't know, I see these new names and I, what the heck is going on here? We've got this avalanche of new names, <laughs> but where are the Isaacs, the Cayley Arboros? You know, Cayley Arboro, who used to jump out of airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a 
parachute in a lard can. And that was the, for a fair. And he'd come down and open it on the way down. Huh? Crazy. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, well, go talk to him about it. <laughs> Daredevils. And they were. And there was no question about it. And Hale was one of the ones that you could be sure his intention was to use whatever he did to make it work. So you mentioned Cale Yarborough jumping out of an airplane and and these guys being daredevils as race car drivers. Was a car another thing Cale could do? Was it something that fit his personality already? Ask, ask him. Yeah. But I think you're right. <laughs> I mean, to put together or to work with people that could put together a car that could run 300, 400, 500 miles and still be at the end. Hey, and that originally was not out of Detroit. That was right out of the barnyard over and over again in the South. And they were so proud of it. That was their people doing what they do well. Mm -hmm. Nobody paid attention to the Northeast, you know, because we got all those fancy colleges and all that. But underneath all of that were people that cared just as much about proving that they could do something that others couldn't. That, that's, that's a big part of it right there. And they could and, <laughs> and made some money at it. What's wrong with that? Yeah, it comes down to the, you know, your, your famous quote, it's, it's common men doing uncommon, uncommon deeds. deeds. Yeah. Which was all of World War II. And nobody ever made, well, I guess they did, that much out of it. But the common man doing uncommon deeds are, is why we were so successful in the Pacific and punching into Germany in World War II, too. They, they, they wouldn't be denied. They'd stick with it and fight with it as long as they had breath to breathe. On the plane ride here, per your daughter Ashley's suggestion, I watched the movie Rush, um, which was about the you know 1976 Formula One championship with James Hunt, Nicky Lauda. I heard you were all around that season and, and even went to Japan for that championship race. I did. <laughs> yeah, I stole him out of the <laughs> press conference because we had to get it on CBS. I wasn't a very good person. <laughs> <laughs> but it was CBS News, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, that's what we said it was. <laughs> <laughs> so why'd you say it? That way. Well, because we weren't supposed to be there. <laughs> and we developed the theory about why we could be there. Because it was news. And my God, it was. <laughs> and we didn't use that much, two or three minutes, but enough to tell the story. But you have to be on your toes and working on making sure you get it, whatever the job is, done and done right. And I love CBS for that. Yeah, I always will, because they had such a determination to do things better with everything they did. And when they bit into sports, they did it. And they had people and producers and directors that were so talented. And I was just lucky to come along at the time when they decided, oh, we need to look at that and that. Well, we'll try that. And they put a team together for Daytona was unbelievable all the way. The audio guy, all of them, producers, directors. And uh, 
That's what America is supposed to be about. It gets lost, but it doesn't get lost at Thunder Road. <laughs> By God, when that guy crosses the finish line, you know he's done the job that day. I wanted to cut in real quick on our conversation with Ken to set up the story that is coming next. And I teased at the beginning that we're going to talk about in-car cameras. And I wanted to provide a little backstory before we hear Ken's answer. So Ken Squire finds himself in Australia with CBS. He's shooting The World's Strongest Man. And Chris Economaki also happens to be there covering a motorsports event that is going on in Australia. He comes across the in-car camera, and here is his reaction to it. We've got to do this, and we've got to do it quick, because Economy was there at the same time in Australia. I don't know why he was there, but he was. And I said, well, you can't around. We've got to get this done, and we've got to own it, that in-car camera, because this is going to change everything. They bought it. We got it done. With the in-car camera... I remember reading articles saying that the original versions were really heavy, boxy, maybe 50 even pounds. dangerous. 50 right? pounds. Yeah, they told, turned over and then the thing would kill them. Oh my gosh. So how did you get them in the cars? <laughs> On their faith and my good word. <laughs> <laughs> and it seemed to be enough. Yeah, it got by that time. wasn't for long because that... When you look at those cameras and the way they were set up in there, jeez. But it did. It, the problem that we had before that was, what did it mean? Nobody knew. Uh, they couldn't understand why that was so important. Car running around in circles. Mm -hmm. You put the camera in there and they'd pull up and something would come by them or they would go by them. And it changed the whole attitude about the driver. Before, it was just some bozo from South Carolina driving around in circles. But take that out of it and consider it as a, a sailboat race. And it was everything because now the opportunity was there for the viewer to see what the hell they were going through. Yeah. And the best part of that story is the, uh, <laughs> So, yeah, who's that? Who's that doing that? <laughs> that, that was the mystery of the year at so, Daytona. So tell me, this, tell me that story. <laughs> we had the best sound guy in the business that worked for CBS, and he, he had done everything for them. And he said, I've got a problem. He says, we pick up a harmonic out of Kale's car <laughs> and we can't get rid of the fucking thing. You got to help us with it because we don't know what to do. So they <laughs> fussed and fooled around for a while and they couldn't fix it. He'd get up in the banks and this would be in practice toward the race. <laughs> and all of a sudden, ah, <laughs> you know, and it'd go on for. <laughs> eight or nine seconds and then stop and then it start again <laughs> and finally <laughs> finally after a while i got to think of that i get i should know his name because i like the guy uh the audio guy said i think i got it <laughs> <laughs> it's not For the car it's not our equipment it's kale yep. <laughs> 
And it was. He'd get up on the wheel, and he had his hands, and he used one hand on the left side. And when he, and then he'd go away. And we discovered that our problem was that we had to get a new driver in there or else muffle him because he couldn't hear it. Why did he do it? Huh? Why did he why why did he do it in the first place? Subconscious thing that he didn't even know he did. He had no idea. He had no idea. A, I don't think he had an idea in the world that he did that. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. <laughs> Kelly Arborough making race car noises in 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 the turn. It wasn't meant to be a noise. It was, it was just, just like his, a humming. Yeah. <laughs> and it was at a, a strange harmonic. And nobody thought of it as a human voice at the time. <laughs> did the, was, cam the camera guy, like, did he inspect the camera when Kale wasn't in the car? They were like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, is, like, did he, is that how he figured out it was Kale making the noise? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it didn't happen overnight. Oh, so this wasn't a, this didn't it, it, happen in a day. Finally, they admitted that as good as their audio was, they couldn't control the kale. <laughs> Don't want to hear it? Turn it down. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Not many people can control Kale Yarbrough, maybe. <laughs> Nobody could. Nobody could. And Remember he used to fly with that, that bear? He got, they finally took him out of the air because he had that little plane. And Susie the bear would end up in Atlanta or somewhere with him in the cockpit flying the, <laughs> with the bear sitting beside him. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Jesus. And he thought that was so cute and so much fun. And Susie the bear never got much publicity. We're talking about like an actual bear, right? Bear, a real bear. <laughs> Where'd he get it? Where'd he get Susie the bear Piece from? Piece of shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one of the mysteries. <laughs> He got the greatest delight. Uh, he loved animals. And all of his life he's loved animals, as much as his girls. And uh, <laughs> so Susie the bear got taken for rides in the airplane. And he got caught. And, of course, you know, I don't even know where he landed, but it was an airport large enough. And they had people there that understood that you didn't take animals and put them in the co-pilot seat yeah. and fly with them. <laughs> Didn't bother him any. Susie liked to fly. And uh, so that lasted a while. And Susie got too big. So he got, she got eliminated from that. She got <laughs> taken out of the air. But he was content with that. And, and that spirit, that's a different attitude than most people have. Yeah. With a bear. Yeah. Susie the bear. <laughs> Susie the bear. How about that? That is right where we stopped recording at the end of day one. We're like, there's no way we can top this story. We're going to have to regroup and figure out where to go from there because Kale Yarborough and a bear. And I honestly, I did not know anything about this. And um, we honestly, we were going to rap and you actually might hear um uh, one of our producers, Micah, he was actually telling me, all right, we're good. We're going to cut it there. And then Ken 
jumps in. He's like, didn't he have that bear? And we're like, all right, we're going to keep the tape rolling because this is great. And we got that story out of it. And right after we cut, I asked Ken, how, how did, how do you even control a bear like that? And, um, this was his answer. How do you even, how do you even control a, a bear? <laughs> That's amazing. Well, up in the air. Right? Yeah, yeah. You have to be quiet now. You gotta be quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm gonna go really fast now. Now be quiet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess that's one way uh, to control a bear. I don't know if the bear would listen to you if you say that, but uh, I guess Kale Yarbrough has the guts that I don't have to uh, fly in an airplane with, let alone an animal, a, a bear. So, and there are going to be more Kelly Arbrough stories, by the way. Um, this is just the beginning of it. And apparently there's more animal stories with Kelly Arbrough. A bear is very far from the only thing that he has tried to tame in his lifetime. And we're going to be getting that a few episodes down the line. But coming up next... There is a fight between Kale Yarbrough and Donnie Allison. Tempers overflowing. The 1979 Daytona 500. We're going to dedicate an entire podcast episode just to that very moment. It's going to be a special one because I had a conversation not only with Ken, as you know, but with David Hobbs, and we talked for 25 minutes. Get ready for a mega episode coming next. And it's all about the 1979 Daytona 500, the race that put NASCAR on the map, changed everything. And the voice behind it, the one, the only, Ken Squire. There's nothing I can do to hype it up more than that. Get ready. It's coming next on Next Level. Thanks for listening. I've been Andrew Curlin. We've got more Ken Squire coming up soon. Check out Dirty Mode Media. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mode. Dirty Mode. Dirty Mode.